Hi, everyone, and welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life and what next steps do you need to take to get there. I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and I am so glad you decided to listen in. We are here on Episode 7, Can You Believe It?, and we are joined by Daniel Grothy. Daniel is the Associate Senior Pastor at the New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He is a dad, he's a husband, and he's an author of a fantastic new book called The Power of Place. One of my favorite books in the last few years is on my bookshelf. I think you're going to find out why in just a few minutes. In this conversation with Daniel, um, boy, I'd love for you to think about in your life about the relationships that you have, which ones are rock solid, which ones maybe need repair or some nurturing, because at the end of the day, it is all about relationships, and you're going to be hearing a lot about that here in this conversation. You're also going to be hearing a lot about faith, and for many of you, faith is important, and for others, not so much. I just want you to hear from me that it's all good. I hope you find this message to be encouraging and something you can now take and implement in your life. And now, welcome to Episode 7, and here is Daniel Grothy. Darren. Daniel, how are you? Good. How are you, my man? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I know that you are Associate Senior Pastor for New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yep. Tell us a little bit more about who you are um, and what, what drives you. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm 39, Tulsa, Oklahoma, born and raised 22 years there. My parents have been pastors for 45 years, um, faithful, raised in church, unlocking the doors at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning and locking them up at 10 p.m. on Sunday night. Wednesday night church, choir rehearsal Thursday, band rehearsal Saturday, uh, went to the Christian school attached to the church. So I was just always in it. And I was doing weddings and funerals with my parents at five years old, hospital visits. When, when my parents would get that dreaded 2 a.m. phone call that every pastor gets, they would always wake up one of their four kids and take one of us with them. Wow. And we would pull into the hospital and they would say, okay, here's what's happened. Here's what's going on. Are we going to go into this room and be loud? Are we going to jump on the furniture? Are we going to be silly? No, we're going to go in. We're going to weep with those that weep. We're going to read Psalm 23 over them. We're going to anoint them with oil. We're going to pray blessing. We're going to, and we're going to go get them groceries and, and walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death. And so I thought every five-year-old on the planet was doing that. And somehow, some way, my parents led us in a way that we weren't getting drug along to their jobs. It's, we are the growthies. This is what God has given us to do, and we're going to do this together as a family. And so we never resented the church. We never resented God stealing our parents away from us. We, and, and we didn't see parents live one way on Sunday and another way Monday to Saturday. So they didn't give us anything to push off of or to reject. And somehow, some way, my heart fell in love with the work myself, and, and so I signed up for it. So moved out here to Colorado Springs at 22 years old, married Lisa. We came here a week later, and uh, Ted Haggard recruited me out here to be a part of this church. We were riding high. We were on top of the world. Uh, he was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, a 30-million member group. Uh, Mel Gibson flew out here on a private jet to release the Passion of the Christ at our church. You know, three thousand pastors. George W. Bush skyped in as the president, and he called our 
our pastor's conference and was hamming it up with our pastor. And so we wow. were like the figurehead church with Saddleback and with Willow at the time. We were kind of one of the figureheads. And then our senior pastor was caught in a salacious scandal and the bottom fell out. We discovered we were $26.5 million in debt. Uh, we had to fire 44 people overnight as this global recession is happening in 2007, 2008. And we're stunned. So we finally get a new senior pastor 10, uh, 10 months later. And on his 100th day in the office, we were starting to feel some strength return and some trust was starting to grow and it felt like the wind was shifting to our back again. And okay, maybe we can rebuild. Sunday morning, just finished our second service and I'm standing down at the end of the children's hallway and I hear the worst sound you could ever hope to hear. And it's ba 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 There's a shooter on our campus with an AR-15 and a thousand rounds of ammo. No way. And he's spraying bullets all over our building, children's hallway. Parents are diving under desks and locking themselves in bathrooms. And I run in, I sprint into our senior pastor's office and said, there's a shooter on campus. And he killed two teenage girls in the parking lot, 16 and 18 uh, sisters. And then he ran in our building and uh, a, a security guard, five foot three lady, ran after him and shot him in the leg with a, a handgun. He fell down and then took his life in our children's hallway. Oh my goodness, Daniel. We had a double murder suicide on our new pastor's 100th day in our church, children's hallway. And so New Life Church has been on top of the world and we have been at the very lowest bottom of the valley of the shadow of death. And now 14 years later, we're thriving. God has led us out and we've got eight congregations around. So I'm I'm the associate senior pastor of the church. We have eight congregations and I lead one of them and then help oversee some of the others. So that's a bit about me. I'm married to Lisa. We have three kids, 14, 12, and nine, and we're having a blast. You mentioned the power place. It is a phenomenal read. It's just a great, full of great stories and incredible research as well, which I appreciated. Mm. Tell me of all the topics though, that you could be writing about in your experience as pastor and as a dad and yeah. Why this topic? And perhaps I should start first. What is that? What is the book about? What's the core core message? And why why this message above all others you could have written about? You're in Idaho, right, Darren? I'm I, Idaho guy. Yeah. Okay. So my grandparents, uh, my mom is from Idaho. My grandparents, my grandma Weezy's ninety almost. She lives just uh, up the road from you, in Lapway, Idaho, on the, on the Snake and the Clearwater River near Lewiston and. Beautiful. Nez Perce Indian tribe. My, her daddy bought the land in the early 1900s as a Greek immigrant. And I would go out there in the summers from Tulsa to Idaho and spend the summers working the, the farm with my grandpa and on the back of the tractor catching sod and stacking it on pallets and getting the forklift and putting it up on the flatbed truck and driving all over the four state region up there to, to take care of people. So you fall into bed at night, you know, smelling like grass and your fingernails are dirty and just feeling satisfied and and feeling like man this is i don't know why being so close to the ground and associated with place it, it, it awakens something in me so i've got this picture here on my wall behind me of my grandparents farm several hundred acres up there in idaho oh wow i spent my life you know being developed on. So place matters to me because yes, Christian history, but my own family history, watching my agrarian ancestors 
work the ground, and serve a very small local community that all would say the Wilsons changed their lives. Hmm. So that's where it comes from for me. Well, that's that's certainly leaving a legacy. Uh, yeah. Boy, and that's and what it, at the end of this uh, end of this life, that's really what we have. I mean, what? How are we changing other people's lives for the better? And uh, when we're gone, does anyone notice? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, Grandpa Dan, I did his funeral just a few years ago, and I flew out there to Lapway, and I stood up, and the church, I mean, 500 people in the in the community, the church is standing room only. He'd lived 86 years there, had served these people. He was the postmaster and delivered mail, 81 mile route every single day. He knew everyone's name and everyone's home address by memory. Wow. After after 40 years of doing that, it got in his being. And so he, he cared for people, he would show up and they showed up at his funeral to say, we bless the memory of this man who, who changed our lives. And so we think, here's another reason I wrote it. We're living in a celebrity drunk culture. We're living in a wanderlusty age that thinks, I'm going to run over there and I'm going to build a more meaningful life. My, my little limited life here is so boring and so mundane and so average. And I want to transcend and I want to, you know, jet set around the globe and I want to be great. And Jesus is great with us being great. But he says, if you want to be great, be the servant of all. Wash the feet of the world. Move into your local communities and lay down your life for these people. Yes, greatness. But we think greatness is found in running away from the limitations of our lives. And Jesus says greatness is found in pressing into the limitations. Stay there, stay faithful, and you will change the world. It's such a, such a cool perspective. And for me, anyway, a contrarian view. I mean, you've touched on it. Boy, I tell you, wherever you're at, keep pushing, keep running, have big goals for your life, which means be hypermobile, this hypermobility type <laughs> culture. So that's what I'm kind of struggling with and wrestling with is that concept of, wait a minute, how do I, how do I deal with the restlessness, restlessness that's in, in me? And some of the listeners may be uh, feeling the same. Yeah. How do you reconcile that? Well, listen, let me just say this. Sometimes a move is necessary. So I am not glorifying or romanticizing this like nostalgic view of place. And we're all going to be 100 years old living with our great grandparents on the front porch drinking coffee. I'm not saying that. But I am, I am challenging the cultural ethos that says, as long as you can pay your bills, you're rich. We, we bounce and we go and I'm gonna run down here for a few years and then I, you know feel the vibe from Austin and then I'm gonna head out to LA and then I'm gonna swing out to New York and I'm gonna like, we are the first society in human history that thinks you are rich if you can just pay your bills. Hmm. And anthropologists and sociologists and philosophers and theologians for hundreds and even thousands of years have been saying, you wanna know what the good life is? The good life is when you've got extended aunties and uncles in the faith who can surround you and who can bless you and who can help you raise your children. It takes a village, they say, right? You want to know what makes you rich. What makes you rich is people that you've journeyed with for decades who when you finally come to your rest, they'll get out a shovel and they'll put your body six feet under and they will bless the memory of your life. 
And, and you want to know what makes you rich. It's people who will show up in the hospitals and fill your pantries and who will, who will know you, who will walk with you. And in our age of hypermobility, as you've said, Darren, it makes it really difficult to have any deep roots with the same people over decades. And so uh, we need to remember that we're living a human experiment right now. We in the first world West, we're living, no other society in history has ever tried to do or ever been able to do what we're doing right now. And we have to interrogate our moment in time and say, how's it working out for us? We, we've got a spike in alcoholism and, and we're medicating some way. You know, we're, we're lonely, we're, we're, we have deeper pockets than we've ever had, but we may be more relationally bankrupt than we've ever been. Mm -hmm. And I think you would see that in our, in our levels of depression and fear and anxiety and loneliness. And so just because we're paying our bills doesn't mean we're rich. And I want to write this, I've written this book to help people understand the layers of social capital that you can gain when you stay faithful in one place for a really long time. Yeah, really great perspective. You know, uh, in my career, I have moved a lot. My kids are out of the house. I have a 30 year old, 28 year old, 23 year old. And uh, in my career, I was hypermobile, yeah. <laughs> chasing the next rung on the ladder. And looking back at it now, I think to myself, uh, what was I chasing again? What, what was it? And when I go back to my small town where I grew up, I'll go back there over the summers and visit with some friends. And um, I will tell you that they were, they're not hypermobile, but I'll tell you what, the depth of their relationships in their community and their friendships is something that's really tough to get when you're moving every two years. We don't even put pictures up on the wall because we know we're going to be moving in two years. Exactly. And that has a real impact on the psyche of the family and and I'm sure you're talking to people all the time. Has that been your experience? How do you, how do you help people work through that? Absolutely. Uh, we live in the, a military town here in Colorado oh. Springs. We have more military installations in our city than any other city in America. We have four of them. So every three years, our city turns over 33%. Oh. So you want to talk about transients and hypermobility. And it's like as a pastor, you're, you're starting to fall in love with your congregation. And three years later, you're sitting in front of a entirely new congregation, it feels. I'm exaggerating for effect, but not that much exaggeration. And our pastor says all the time, it takes a long time to become old friends. And uh, Jim Carrey, right? One of the funniest men on the planet. He's knocking it down, making 25, 30 million a film. And he was, he was on, top of the, on top of the mountain and then crashed and went into a long stretch of of depression and and uh, was on this journey of trying to recover himself and coming out of that season he said i wish all of you could be rich and famous and do everything you ever imagined so that you will see that it's not the answer and and he says look riches is found in the simple stuff it's found in faithfulness it's found in people that have loved you for a long time and so yeah, when we're bouncing around all the time, it is difficult to really establish that rootage. Hmm. You have written about meaningful membership. Mm -hmm. What what does that mean? Yeah, and how, what, what what can we learn from that? It, that's a concept that comes from Wendell Berry, who's a Kentucky farmer, sixth generation farmer, uh, but he's a world renowned poet, essayist, novelist. The guy is just a freak of nature. And he's 87 years old, living on the land that his daddy and his daddy's daddy passed on to him. 
and he and his wife Tanya have have been there and he's written these novels um, Burley Coulter and Hannah Coulter and uh, I really encourage some of you who are interested in, in pressing into his work to pick it up but he talks about membership and in all of his novels you see everyone has a place these you know the, the crazy town drunk who's you know stumbling out on Saturday night who's an embarrassment to the people you find you know as he sobers up on Sunday and and he stumbles into the barber shop and and these people put him back together and take him back in and 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 you've got the uh, the elderly who have their place and you've got the young ones who are running around and they're learning from the elderly and the elderly are feeling the affection and the care of the younger ones and everyone's just got their but it's not just people it's the it's the creation it's the animals it's the it's the earth and he he wants to talk about a vibrant local community is is a, a community where there's proper membership where everyone fits where everyone knows each other and submits to one another and uh, understands the gift that is resident in each other and we don't know our neighbors anymore <laughs> like sure. i read i read wendell and i think god what a gift that is and what a countercultural move that would be today you know we're, we're living in an age of deep tribalism Aren't we? Polit yeah. <laughs> political, just political. I'm going after you and the right versus the left and the rich versus the poor and the 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 dim libs against those right wing alt right crazies. Like Wendell's word of membership. It doesn't mean that everyone sees the world the same way. It just means that everyone respects the place and the the integration of all of the relationships and makes space for one another. And I think we could learn in our age of tribalism how to become members of one another again, using that Pauline metaphor. We are, we are many members, but we are one body. And should the foot say to the hand, I don't have need of you. So I think this chapter on Wendell Berry is helping reclaim that imagination for holy membership with one another. Well, on, this, on the topic of tribalism and how do we get back how do we move away from that? We clearly are where we are as a society. Yeah. Some might say there ain't no coming back. <laughs> we are we are where we are and buckle up, it's gonna get worse. Do you do you, uh, subscribe to that thinking or is there a path back? There's gotta be a path back. If, if there's not a path back, then what are we doing? And if, uh, here's what I say about Jesus. I'm, I'm a pastor, so you'd think I'd care for Jesus and I just really do. Jesus Christ was dead on a Friday and then on Sunday, he wasn't. And I say, if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, anything's on the table. And the, the resurrection is the sign and the symbol and the statement once and for all that the very worst thing, death, separation, brokenness, darkness of Good Friday, it doesn't have to be the last thing. And so we are in a Good Friday moment. We are in, our nation is travailing. We're, I don't know if we're in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating drops of blood. I don't know if we're, if we're up on the hill bleeding out, I don't know if they've taken our body down and put us in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. I'm not sure where we are, but we're somewhere in a Good Friday moment and, or maybe a holy Saturday morning. Uh, but, but, but we can, we can rise. I, I think it'll happen as we come face to face. We're not going to win. We're not going to win unity by being keyboard warriors. 
you know, popping off on Facebook and posting sarcastic memes and chipping at each other. It, we think we're in our little echo chambers. We're going to change the world. We're just creating echo chambers of animosity and we're deepening the divide. Whatever happened to going to the, the local Greasy Spoon Diner and sitting across from someone who sees the world differently and learning how to love and respect and dignify and honor them? And sure, there's certain things we're not going to agree on, but that doesn't mean we have to lose each other, and it doesn't mean we have to be caustic and mean-spirited. I think the way that we'll find healing is by coming together and blessing each other and having conversation being decent. Healing the nation will be when we come and we break bread and we forgive and we ask good questions and we listen. And I think it's possible when we start coming together like that. You know, it's clear to me you've had a lot of positive uh, role models in your life and you don't take that for granted. Right. I'm curious, um, as a dad, uh, what have you learned about being a dad as a result of writing The Power of Place? I want to give my children, Lisa and I, just long to give our children a safe, sacred canopy under which their lives can grow. Like, I think that's parenting at its best. Will we do it perfectly? None of us will do it perfectly. Will we have to repent? Absolutely. Do, are there days where we think, man, how stupid am I? Sure. But, but on the whole, what we're trying to do is to give our children a safe canopy under which their lives can flourish. And so what have I learned about it, uh, being a dad and the power of place? I wanna give my kids social capital. I, I, my kids have 10 extended uncles in the faith and 10 extended aunties. They have more than that, I'm, I'm underselling it. People who, we've told our kids, it, God forbid your mom and I should die early. If we did, you all would be fine. You'd be sad and all, yes, and there would be a time of grieving, absolutely. Brett and Kate would rally, Matt and Tiffany would rally, David and Christine would rally, John and Paige would rally, Glenn and Holly would rally. You would be so okay, it's not even funny. And I, I think, I think our, all of our children need that sense of membership, as, as Wendell Berry said. And so uh, that's what Lisa and I are trying to do is give our children the gift of the power of place. What advice would you have for someone who may be listening who's, I don't know, 23 years old, <laughs> maybe thinking about starting a family, they're thinking about their career, where to put their time and talents right, that God gave them. Um, what, what advice would you give them in this post-pandemic, distracted, lonely world? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question, Darren. That, that stage of life is such a crucial stage of life. And I would first say, uh, build a beautiful life slowly. Darren, how old are you? I'm 54. 54 and looking fantastic. I've got hair envy and, and you're, you're, you're staying fresh and on your front foot and you're reading and you're learning. You didn't get to where you are at 54 quickly. You got there by these little meandering moments that didn't seem like it was your dream job or I didn't feel great all the time. And I'd say in your 20s, your 20s is about learning grit. It's about learning how to fight through when you don't feel great about it. It's about showing up and doing the job that isn't your dream job and learning the discipline of that and submitting to the, to the elders in front of you and asking good questions, finding sages. 
that you want to be like one day. So if you're that young 23-year-old and you're just starting a family, I'd find the 63-year-old couple who's been married 40 years and I'd take them to dinner and ask them five great questions and get the legal pad out and write it down and then go home and talk about it with your spouse. So let each decade build and become sort of a compounding interest that builds a meaningful life and a meaningful career. And you'll get to 54 like Darren or you'll get to 75 and you'll have something to show for it. But it'll, it'll just be the long, slow, plodding, compounding interest effect to, to build a beautiful life. But find someone that you want to be like that's three or four decades ahead of you and drill them with questions and you will, you will gain the wisdom that they have fought to earn over the decades. I think that's so wise. And very few people do that. You know, a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, he, he told me a story about how he, he brought a microphone to his mom and dad's place. His mom and dad are in their 80s. And um, he just sat with them for hours, for, you know, four or six hours and just interviewed them. Yes. And captured the stories of the family. And he, he, his mind was blown. Yep. Because he loves, obviously respects his mom and dad more than anyone else. And he heard stories and principles that he had never heard before. And I, I think there's something there, isn't there? Yes, we, this, this house right here, my grandpa Dan grew up in and he helped build the barn right there with his dad. And when he was 84, my uncle, so my grandpa was Daniel Wilson, my uncle's Daniel Wilson Jr. And I'm Daniel Wilson Grothy. So my uncle Dan took his dad, my grandpa Dan, and drove him over to this place and did a same tour. He did a tour of all the important spots in my grandpa's life. Took him to his elementary school, took him to his high school, took him to the church, took him to this house, and they got out, had a microphone and a camera, and recorded, sat in their living room, and we have the treasure oh. of those memories. And so if you wanna build a good life, it will not happen accidentally and you have to apprentice yourself to people who have lived beautiful lives. So thank you for sharing that story, Darren. Uh, Daniel, uh, how does Power of Place fit into uh, marriages? Um, a lot of people are listening in and, and uh, you know, place and relationships obviously uh, impacts marriage. So how does it impact that part? Yeah, well, we are living in a culture of impermanence. We're, we're, we're living in a culture of impermanence. 50%, and this is no shame at all, I'm just giving the data. 50% of the marriages in the last 30 to 40 years have not worked. And what, what that does in a family system, what that does to children, the disturbance, it, it just it engenders a culture of impermanence. And so you have to just realize the gift of stability, of working it through, of signing back up. Every, every good marriage that I've seen is uh, two people who just keep signing back up. My grandma and grandpa, 80, uh, 86, and grandma's now almost 90. They were married 66 years. Wow. And they had so many highs and lows and so many turns and twists that they never imagined. But to get to the end where Grandma Wheezy's sitting by Grandpa Dan's deathbed holding his hand and rubbing his head and saying, Honey, I love you and I bless you. Go see Jesus. I'll be with you shortly. Like that is rich. And, and that their marriage has been a sacred canopy under which so many lives have grown. A lot of people listening, everyone listening has some big goals for their life. And what advice would you have for someone who may be considering 
uh, tackling a big, scary goal. Go for it. Young kids coming out of college, the Spirit of the Lord has put something in you to create and to, and to change the world and to make something new. Go for it. We have uh, th three kids, Lillian, Wilson, and Wakely. And Lillian at 12 years old said, I want to breed puppies. And we said, okay, can I just tell you a quick story, Darren? Oh, yeah. We want, I want to breed puppies. And I said, great. Uh, I'll buy the puppies. I'll buy the male. I'll buy the female. You can buy the female back from me and your mom, and I'll give you a no-interest loan. So you want to be a business owner? Beautiful. Nice. So I, bought, I bought the puppies. She started working and she babysat and made $100 and paid us off. She owed $1,400 on the puppy. Okay. She, she went and worked at a store and made $60. She owed us $1,340. And the puppy, her dog got pregnant. And two weeks before she had a, her first litter, Lillian paid us off free and clear. She's, she's debt free on her puppy. And two weeks later, her dog had... Four, uh, had seven puppies and she sold all seven of those puppies. She made $14,000, our 12 year old daughter. I no said, way. I said, Lillian, you have more money at 12 years old than I had when I married your mom. <laughs> and like, but, but here's the thing, like, what would I say to, to people who have a dream or have a vision or a plan or a business model that's just stewing in their soul? Get, get yoked up with good people, ask really good questions, run your pro forma, see if you think the market will su sustain it. But once you've done your work, go for it. And I, and I think God will, God will bless those who just keep giving it a shot. Last question for you. Earlier on, you talked about finish well. What, what does that mean, to finish well? To finish well... I'm taken back to my grandpa Dan's living room, 86. All 50 of us, his family were in the room, 20, at that point it was 23 great-grandchildren. We gathered around, we sang hymns, we shared a meal. He's laying on his hospital bed that hospice brought in, in front of the window, looking out at the river all of his people are there, we're holding hands, we're telling stories, we're praying, we're crying. He blessed all 50 of us, he called us name, person by person, brought us to his bedside. And he laid hands on us and he's crying and we're crying and he's kissing us on the cheek and he says, I love you and I bless you. And when the 50th person had been blessed, he lays back on the bed, closes his eyes and starts going down into his rest to try to travel with your most important people to that finish line. So for them, it was staying married 66 years. For them, it was having their kids with them. For them, it was their friends in the community that gathered around his bedside at the end and said, we bless you. And they sang a hymn and he closed his eyes and he entered his rest. So it's the simple, long, faithful life. And I think that's the stuff that really shows you how rich you are. Daniel, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. It's been great having you here. Love you, Darren. Thanks so much. Well, I love that conversation with Daniel. Such a great perspective on relationships and what it means to go through this life together and with the people that matter most. Now, you can also follow Daniel on Instagram, Mr. Daniel Grothy. And if you enjoyed this episode, and I bet you did, I invite you to share this with at least two people in your life that you care about that you are going through life together with, I think they're going to enjoy it. 
And you can follow me on Instagram, at DarrenJohnson1. Drop me a message. Let me know how you're enjoying the podcast. Also, you can drop me an email at DarrenJohnsonMac.com. And uh, our website is IDareYouPod.com. So, everyone, thank you very much for being part of the I Dare You podcast conversation in this community. And we're going to continue the conversations next week with our next episode. Thanks for being a part of the I Dare You podcast.